Welcome back to Phone Booth Cold Calls with Jen. Let's take another caller. Okay, um, welcome back to Phone Booth Cold Calls with Jen. I am Jen. (laughs) I am going to do an episode um, where one of my good old friends that actually just got interviewed is going to ask me some questions about myself um, to give you guys a little bit of a look into my life and who I am, where I came from. So introducing Dasha. Hello, everybody. She will be... The interviewer, <laughs> yeah, so. of part do, but <laughs> part do, dos, <laughs> part do, Um, yes, Jen. As we had talked about before, we have known each other for a very, 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 very long time. It's true. And today, I would like to ask you some questions. Let's do this i'm nervous do not be (laughs) nervous these are awesome we can always delete it (laughs) nothing will be deleted (laughs) okay so my first question would be how did you become such an awesome boss lady i want to hear your history a little bit in the work environment and how you came to be well i think i i practice a lot of empathy and I'm really passionate about it. I've had some really horrible work environments, like really horrible. And I've had some really great work environments. So I'll tell you just kind of some of the things. Um, I started working when I was about 10 um, in my uncle's catering kitchen. And my uncle is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. We used to have so much fun in that kitchen. I couldn't use the knives yet because you have to be, I think, 12 or 13 to use knives in a kitchen. So he'd have me doing everything else, washing dishes, setting up beans. Like we pranked each other. We had this great, fun environment, and it was this family-oriented environment. Um, I kind of mapped into the event side of that company with his partner, Gary Haynes, who's one of my, also one of my favorite people. Um, same thing over there. It was very much um, have a good time, but get the work done. So I think it was ingrained in me very early that it's okay to have a good time. It's okay to have fun as long as you get your work done, you know, and you can make things fun by just being silly and loving on each other and, and caring about each other and doing silly things that are inherent to the other person. Um, I remember one time I hate horseradish hate it. We would always have lunch together in the kitchen. My uncle thought it would be really funny to line the bottom of my hot dog with horseradish and then put it in the bun and hand it to me on a plate. Obviously, I didn't know about the horseradish. So I just dress up my hot dog with some ketchup and relish and I take a huge bite of it and this horseradish just explodes in my mouth. And I'm crying and I'm laughing and he's dying laughing and the whole family's there just cracking up. Of course, I relived this and got him back several times on these pranks, but it was just a fun, cool environment. Yeah. So then I did that all through high school, I think, and um, got out of high school and into college a little bit and kind of tapered off. And I ended up going into the law field and I had this horrible boss. I won't say his name, but he was horrible. He's called me the C word, thrown things at me, lamps, pens, I do old fashioned dictation for him and he would, if I missed a period, he'd fly off the handle. He fired and hired me and fired and hired me. He'd hit on me and 
try to get me to go to bed with him. And it, it was just really horrible. Yeah. And it was a PA and I was an independent contractor. So I couldn't do anything about that because according to state law, you have to have over a certain amount of employees in order for sexual harassment or anything like that to apply. And you cannot be an independent contractor because under definition, huh. I could have left whenever I wanted. He knew what he was doing as a lawyer. But anyways, I was driving to work one day and I got to the point where I was making like $53 an hour for him because every time wow. he fired me, I'd demand a raise to come back. Yeah. And I ran his entire office. He was criminal defense. So I knew all of his clients. I helped him get clients. I knew where the files were. I knew where, where we were in court proceedings. I did all of it. Right. So he needed me there. So I learned quickly that the money is not worth it. Because I was driving to work one day, and I just really didn't want to go in. I was driving on State Street, crossing 15th, and there was a giant truck, like a food delivery truck, coming on 15th, and I could tell that they weren't going to stop for the stoplight. They are going to, you know, at the tail end of the stoplight. Sure. And I was like, man, if I run my car into this truck, I'll probably have to go in the hospital for like a week, and he can't get mad at me because it's an accident. Oh, my gosh, Jen. Literally, I had that thought, and I pulled over right then. And I quit. Yeah. And I said, this is not worth it. If I have to get physically hurt and be in the hospital for this man to give me a day off without giving me this narcissistic guilt trip. Yeah. It's not worth it. Well, it sounds like an abusive work environment. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I came from an abusive home, so it was very right. comforting to me. But anyway, so quit right there. <laughs> Went into a really deep depression. Real deep. I was really lost in where I was going to go and what I was going to do. And I remember sitting in um, a salon chair, my stepdad or somebody had given me like a gift certificate to go get my hair done. Yeah. And this lady next to me, don't know her, don't know who she was. She was a receptionist in a property management office. <clears throat> and she was talking about how she had to leave because they were moving, but she just loved her job. Yeah. She loved the people that she worked with. And I remember leaning over and saying, so where did you say you worked? Do right. you have a card? Like, can I, <laughs> what's going on? And I stalked that company. Interesting. I submitted my resume. I didn't hear from them uh -huh. for two weeks. So I just started showing up at the office. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, I this is a great company. I want to work for good people. Like, right. this is the goal. And so um, I get interviewed by wonderful guy named Mitch and this gal named Marty and all of a sudden they're fighting over which like which group of properties they want me on mm -hmm. keep in mind I applied for the receptionist position not a leasing consultant right <laughs> but they just thought I would be good at it so they were like coming in and out of the room saying no I'm gonna hire her no I'm gonna hire her and it was really flattering and then um Rich won and he put me in a um apartment complex by Boise State University uh-huh and within six months, I was applying for manager positions, and I had a manager there that I went to her and said, hey, I want to be a manager in six months. And she said, okay. And I showed up early. I stayed late. She did that with me because she saw that I was dedicated. Right. And she mentored me and trained me and taught me financials and taught me what I needed to know. And it was because I reached out to her and I put in that extra effort that she was willing to match it. Right. And that experience was new to me and very, um, I would say telling because I saw what a good manager will do for someone that actually wants to be there and wants to put an effort. 
And then I was a manager after that and had just, it was a one person property. Um, so it was just a manager and a maintenance guy and had the maintenance guy, um, sexually harassed me. Oh boy. Instantly. And so I had my first firing experience with that. And Rich had to actually come to the property because this, this man was very aggressive Oh my. Uh, to the point where he would get up over, uh, like I'd be sitting at the desk talking to him and he'd stand up over me yeah. and yell at me. Jeez. So I was very uncomfortable. Um, and then, so he, he came and helped me learn how to fire someone and, and do it in a good way and how to communicate like, and kind of help people see why they're being fired and, and right. what happened to create that situation. So I learned a lot from that experience and then moved to Silver Bay, which is where I worked. I ended up hiring you and a yeah. couple other people. I, yeah. end, I, I learned a lot at Silver Bay. I uh, hired one of my best friends. It was really, really fun until she had to get fired or leave. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't it was so fun, fun until it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you just kind of walk through these situations um, and working in apartments, you have an opportunity. You're not only supervising your staff, you're also supervising the people that live there because you're creating an environment for them as well through your staff right? and through the community that you're managing. And so you just have to walk through those things and you have to think of it as in, these are people. They are all people, whether they're in an office building, whether they're in a residential building, whether they're your staff, whether they're your boss, <laughs> leadership, all of them, they're all human beings at the core and when you can tap into that human aspect of somebody and really understand who they are, what they want, and what's really going on with them, you're going to be less likely to fire someone or reprimand them because they might be more inclined to tell you, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time with my depression or I'm, you know, doing all these things or I have an addiction issue and I need help, you know. There's a human aspect to it. And I think when my mom got sick, I went to my boss and I said, hey, I'm caretaking for my mom. And I was crying and I just felt like a failure. And I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And like, I'm up all night with her. She keeps calling me to come home, you know, all of these things. And I just feel like I'm failing because I have to be here eight to five. And he said, he looked at me and said, Jen, I'm sorry you're going through that. And you work whenever you need to work. Do what you need to do. And as long as you get your work done, we're good. Yeah. And that was a life lesson for me because you can't always control the things that are happening in your life. But being able, having the comfort to go to him and say, I'm really struggling with this and I need help and it. I want to get this work done and I want to do a good job, but I'm, I'm having a hard time. And to have him be like, okay, let's fix it. Let's find a way instead of get the hell out of here. Right. The support. Is Lesson huge. learned. Lesson learned. So I just hope that I can pay that forward. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. But I think having those very altered experiences <coughs> really helped me understand who I want to be as a person and I try to incorporate that into who I am as a boss or a, a co-worker that is amazing I didn't know for about some of those that you've <laughs> had before those jobs that's incredible 
It makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> like, how it has molded you into, yeah. you know, the work environment that you are currently in. And seeing you in that has been such, like, a pleasure. Um, so what advice would you give someone who wants to pursue a career that's similar to yours? Don't follow the money. Um, that was probably my biggest lesson learned. Um, I went into my last major company where you were obviously aware. I won't say the name of the company. Um, I followed the money in that one worked thousands of hours a week, um, did tons of roles with them, um, really helped them get off the ground and then they laid me off. And I'll never forget that feeling of like, when I first started doing that, I was like, I have to make, I've always had this goal. I have to make a hundred thousand a year. That's my goal. It's not anymore, but I've always had that goal. And I think because I saw my mom struggle with money so hard. She was a very credit card to credit card type of person. My dad was in and out of wealth because he was very risky with his investments. I was like, man, if I could just make 100000 a year, I will be fine. I will be safe. You know, and it's that counselor says that safe is what I've sought my entire life. Right. Seek it in every relationship I have, even friendships. Um. So safety is really important to me, and I kept thinking that. And so I went into a company that really took advantage of me and really took advantage of my hardworking ethic and how how far I'll go for the employees that I oversee Right. because it's my job to support them. It's my job to make sure they have what they need to succeed and that they're supported and they know that they can do anything in this world. Yeah. I'm very passionate about that. Love that. And I thought, man, I got to make 100000 a year. And I followed the money, and they laid me off. And I'll never forget the day that my boss did it. He said, there's no reason for this. I can't give you anything you've done wrong. Uh-huh. And you just got to go. Yeah. And I sat down on the couch that day, and I literally had nothing. Yeah. I was lost. All my hobbies were gone. And a lot of this came out of the caretaking role, too, which also takes a big toll on. Right hobbies and friendships and things, but you never feel so alone when you finish caretaking because that person dies and it literally stops the next day. Right. So your whole focus is gone. Never feel more alone than that. And you never feel more alone when you don't understand why someone has betrayed you and you've worked so hard for them. Right. So I remember sitting there and just thinking, man, I have nothing. I don't have any friends around. Like, I barely talk to any of my friends. I don't have any hobbies. I just work till 10 o'clock every night. Yeah. What do I do? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally I had a job offer in Austin as a regional manager. Right. And I, I turned it down. And I remember a couple of members of my family were like, what are you doing? And I had saved up some money to buy a house. And I said, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to take six months and I'm going to figure out who the hell I want to be. Yeah. And what kind of company I want to work for and right. what kind of boss I want to be and what kind of work I want to do. Yeah. I don't want to do what's easy anymore. I want to do what gives me passion, what gives me drive, you know. Exactly. And I ended up taking a job that's about, 40000 a year less than what I was making. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy. Yeah. And my staff is happy and my team is happy. And I work yeah. in a place where 
collaboration and friendship is something that they want you to have with people. Yeah, it's encouraged. It's encouraged, yeah. And I was always told, you're too close to people. You're too close to people. Like, you need to be a boss and not their friend. Right. And I think there's a balance in that. I think you can have both. Exactly. So I'm finally with a company that believes that as well. And now they're wanting me to do more with them, which still isn't going to put me up to the 100,000 mark. But I've realized I don't need that. You know, I've realized that I can be very comfortable where I'm at in any situation. You just have to change your outlook. But that was the biggest lesson for me is not to chase the money. It's to chase the passion. Yeah. No, it's so important. Like, I mean, really waking up in the morning and feeling passionate about going into work. Yeah. You know, and it's not really about... You were saying that the other day, that you finally wake up and you're like excited to be here. Yeah, Totally excited. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had some amazing jobs prior Mm -hmm. to this as well. Mm -hmm. However, it's just, you know, a lot of times you do wake up and you're kind of dreading the day and you're just like, oh, I don't want to like go into work today because of ABC. Yeah. You know, but like... Granted, I've only been here for a short amount of time, but like I have not had that happen once, you know, and I'm coming up on three months almost. So I'm just like, this is, this gets me excited. This gets my like blood going and my happy dance going and, you know, (laughs) like all the things going. I only do happy dances for pickles. (laughs) Pickles. Yes. Your addiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Kind of going on that same, you know, thought process of, also, like, because we are friends mm-hmm. and we are coworkers, what do you think makes us jive so well as both? I know some people have a really hard time being able to be both. Yeah. Um, expectation is set. Mm, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but before I offered you this job, I called you up and I said, so this is going to be Boston. Right. And I need to make sure that you understand that when I'm at work and I'm talking to you as your boss, I am your boss. I'm your supervisor. I'm not your friend. hundred percent. And I think setting that expectation quickly and before you choose that is really important. Um, I've worked with my best friend, Angela. Yep. Um, We worked together for two, two and a half, three years. Right. There were two times where I had to say, Angela, stop. I'm not your friend right now. Right. Like I'm having this conversation with you because there's a work issue that we need to work out. Sure. And she had to step back a little bit and be like, oh, I have to remember that at work, I'm at work. Yeah. But it was setting that expectation and not being afraid to say, hey, Dasha, I'm not your friend right now. I'm your boss. Yeah. And you also have to have that acceptance of that and have to be able to say, oh, she's right. I'm, I'm here because I want to work here. Yeah. And right now she's not the girl that I went to fifth grade birthday party in her backyard. Right. Like right now she's my boss. Yeah. But I also think that in my friendships and I live by this, if you look at someone in a friendship and you, there's nothing about that person that you admire or want to be mentored on, you shouldn't be friends with them. Interesting. Okay. If you look at someone that does not push you or encourage you, in those ways, the friendship will usually fail on its own. That's true. Kind of fizzle out. and Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't challenge you. They don't 
they don't mentor you in any way. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're sitting around saying, oh, Dasha, you need to do this and you need to do that. But it's, it's that you can see something in them that you aspire to be. Right. Which creates a love and a, and a collaboration Uh in the friendship. It gives you something to connect on. No, yeah. It's the same thing with a mentor in work. Uh huh. If you have a boss who you do not admire, right? You do not find anything about them inspiring. You're very low likelihood that you're going to take their direction or want to be in their role. Am I right? right? No, a hundred percent. So you shouldn't be in that position. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting that. I never actually thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree with the boundaries and all that stuff. Like, that is so healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just, like, the, me- the I do like the mentorship, but I never really wrap my head around, like, even the friendship side of it. Like, you know, if they're not inspiring you in any way, shape, or form, or if there's not one thing that you can really find about them besides, oh, they're a nice person, whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, and, I mean, you can still be acquaintance friends with that right, person, right. but you wouldn't have a deep, connection with them you wouldn't have a good friendship yeah not, I'm not good but you wouldn't have a close friendship, close friendship with them. Yeah. yeah yeah that's that's great um what would you say you're most proudest of like what's your most proudest moment to date that you have just like high-fived the crap out of yourself and been like <laughs> yes this is winning at life and I'm just so proud of myself I would say the moment is probably taking that six months off. Yes. Best um, thing you could have done for yourself. <laughs> and I think it's the best thing I could have done for myself because it, it taught me a lot about who I want to be moving forward. And right. I didn't realize how lost I was. Um, after the caretaking, after my mom died, even before that, I had a very hectic home life and... Um, the addiction issues that really affected me and my relationships. I didn't really dig into them. I've always been very surface level with them. I've always been like, oh, yeah, that happened. It's fine. It's not. It is what it is. But it affected me. It affected my relationships. It affected my work. It affected who I thought I needed to be. And then the caretaking happening with someone who was an abuser of yours, that's confusing. It's it's very... um, it's hard to, because you put it aside, right? right? And you take care of that person. Right. And even when that person tries to apologize, you're just like, no, I'm taking care of you. Stop it. But those things are needed for closure in those situations. Sure. And so then they die and you are you don't get that closure. Yeah. But you created that situation. You created the non-closure right. because you put that boundary up. So even after that happened, I didn't know who I was. And so I latched on to this job hmm. latched onto it like freaking you know baby to a baby bird to a worm just like couldn't yeah. stop and it's all I ever focused on I wasn't focusing on myself I wasn't choosing me I wasn't healing right and so when that all went away I could have very easily latched on to the next big project right but instead I forced myself to walk through the depression I forced myself to really journal and meditate and work out and get back to those habits that make me feel good about myself. And those are very hard things to do when you're in that state. Oh, yeah. And so I'm really proud of myself. I know that I blew my house money. I know that, you know, I don't have that savings buffer anymore. But 
what I got out of that was a new sense of who I could become, Yeah, you know? And now I'm, I'm actively working toward this really awesome and amazing person that I want to be. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not who I was and it's a more healed person. And I'm able to take that healing and spread it around like manure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very bad analogy, but it, it, had I not done that, it would have been very difficult for me to become this person and to move forward. Right. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of you and that as well. I don't know if I ever told you that, but Honestly, I, I'm so proud of you making that decision for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and really actually putting your needs and like your crisis moment at hand, like as like, yep, I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this right now. And this is how I'm going to do it. I might not know what I'm doing every day, yeah, but I didn't. here I am like doing the steps. Yeah. And well, and recently, recently you told me you were like, I was really worried about you. I was. I thought I was hiding it so well. No, let me. Be I mean, real. granted, like I don't know about everybody else, but I've known you. You're forever. apparently not the only person that was worried. Okay, like good. I was gonna like <laughs> off myself yeah. type of thing, but I thought because you're in that state, and I was so low in it. Honestly, I thought I was putting on a real good show. I really did. Yeah. And so to hear that the people around me were actually worried, I was like, oh, you're not. You're not putting on. You're not a good actress, yeah. bitch. Yeah. I Get mean, your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. It's better to be real and be okay with your low points in life and be honest and open. Like, I know none of us want to ever come forward and be like, yep, I'm depressed. Yep, my life is crap. You know, like, yep, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, not feeling good. But that's part of why I love this podcast and what I'm so passionate. Because the minute I did that, I made so many more connections. And now people will come to me and be like, Jen, I'm in a really low point. Yeah. And I, I know that they trust me. And I know that they can sit down and talk to me. And I know maybe, I know I've helped at least two people in the last couple of months. That's great. Yeah. You know, um, but had I put on that show continuously and not right. been open about my own struggles, right. they probably never would have said anything to me. Oh, yeah. No. Why would not. you, right? Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Jen's perfect. Like, oh, she yes. doesn't know what I'm going through. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's so, it's so, it's vulnerable. Yeah. It is. And it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable, but I think I'm very proud of you for being vulnerable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kind of going off of that, like, what do you feel outside of work that you're most passionate about? My dog. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> now, now I didn't ask what you're obsessed about. <laughs> I said passionate about. No, um. That's hard. You know, I, I'm still working on some of those things, but I think my passion has always been people always yeah. will be always has been. Uh, I'm very empathetic. I feel people's energies around me pretty quickly. Yeah. People tend to open up to me, random people in a bathroom or <laughs> wherever. Um, I, my biggest passion is probably the people around me. Um, I love learning about people. I love hearing about different cultures, religions, experiences similar to mine that are different, that I learn from, that people can learn from mine. I just love that community and that social aspect of it. I'm also have a newly grown in the last couple of years debilitating social anxiety. So it is, 
And we've talked about this because the same thing you do with your friends is, you know, maybe they're there, maybe they're not. Mm, Right. Um, I've called you out on it a couple times. And I've confided in you that (laughs) like, this is what I need right now, you know? Right. And you've been very respectful of it. But having the courage to tell you, hey, I really am suffering from this Mm -hmm. and I have to know what we're doing and I need to know who's going to be there because me being alone in these situations makes me feel alone, alone. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a different feeling and I go home and I'm depressed. Right. Versus going to an outing where I maybe know a couple people that can help me to network by just yeah. introducing me around. 100%. That's 100% different. You leave those situations feeling enlightened or, you know, excited about new connections. But if it's yeah. left to me in a situation where I don't know somebody, I'll probably just cower in the corner. And it's a new thing for me. It's happened over the last probably five years. Right. Um, I think it very much came from experiences after caretaking where yeah. a lot of my friendship groups disappeared fell yeah, fell aside. because they just couldn't handle what I was going through. Right. I felt abandoned. I felt lonely, all of the above. And so having those same thing, things happen or those same feelings like emerge in a social setting is very damning to me. And I think you've been a lot better about being more understanding about that. And I think it's right. because I had courage enough to say something yeah. to you. Because you did call me out on it. You're like, what the hell, Jen? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Like, I just won't show up. Right. And it's not that I don't want to continue a friendship and I don't want to meet these people. It's that it's clear anxiety for me. It right. sends me into a spiral and yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. You know? And I think I've learned, I'm learning through that. So it's it's hard. My passion is people, but it's hard for me to openly, like, jaunt out on that. Right. You know, and I'm, I am grateful that you did, you know, become vulnerable with me during that time and was open with your experience and what mm-hmm. you were feeling going through. Because, again, if if we don't know, we just don't know, you yeah. know, and we can ask, but you sharing that is just mm-hmm. so important, too. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm able to adjust me and what I say and the way I act, too, to accommodate the situation as needed, you know, because I want everyone to feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, and I, I want the friendship to keep going. And mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. So 100%. it's so yeah. good that yeah. you were so open. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kind of switching gears a little bit. <laughs> how would you describe your perfect day? Oh, gosh. Like it let's, depends on my mood. <laughs> well, I get that. I get that. I'm all about the rainy days right now. I love Okay. Them. Yeah. Ta- tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about your perfect rainy day. Um, Perfect rainy day. Yeah. I'd probably wake up around nine. Okay. Stay in bed about till 930, just cuddling my pup. Love. Because he's my favorite. Um, Maybe spend some time overcast in a hammock reading or meditating. Go for a little walk go maybe out to like a brunch with some friends uh-huh. uh watch a movie work. or take a nap <laughs> yes no that's very important or yeah. rainy days um i have a newfound passion for cooking yes you do uh, which i i'm just loving the oh. project and the art of cooking so i would love to like maybe have some girlfriends over for a girl's night cook, I, I, cook a I'm nice dinner that you're loving it yeah i know i feed you guys um 
I'd probably end the day cooking like a nice little appetizer thing, um, having some games, glass or two of wine, watch my favorite movie, The Holiday or Sleepless in Seattle, and fall asleep. Oh my gosh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. Have the kiddos over, my niece and nephew or something. Go. Little game night, do a little paint project. Something fun and artsy crafty. Silly. Yeah. I love that. That's probably a perfect day. Yeah. It's unless I'm traveling and then I would like it to be sunny on the seventy to eighty side. (laughs) I would like to walk around Italy for the rest of my life. I love Uh, that place. Just go somewhere new and culturally different. Do you feel like you're pretty, like, if you had all the time in the world and all the money in the world, do you feel like you would spend most of it traveling? Yeah. I'm, I also love being at home. Okay. I love, like, my dream is to have literally white house, blue shutters, wraparound porch, big yard, two dogs, Every Sunday, I'm cooking a barbecue. My All my friends and family are coming over. We're doing cornhole, fire pit. I love that. All that. And the kids are there, and they've yeah. got, they're playing with the dogs, and, like, that's my dream. Like It sounds every very Sunday, southern. I don't know why, but I'm just, like, doesn't gives me southern me. vibes. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, like, that's, if I could have anything in the world, that would be it. And yeah. just that hub. I haven't felt like we've had, my family has had, like, a house hub. You know how, like, when you're growing up, everybody comes to one house for yes, Christmas. That 100%. was always my mom's house. Yeah. And now it's kind of my sister's house, but it's it's also her husband's family. Uh-huh. And so it's it's like a different feeling. And I feel like I want to create that. The house the that hub. everyone comes to. Yeah. yeah. You know, where I can just blast out the Christmas decorations in the Halloween town and like right. do all my favorite stuff and. Hopefully there's a man there that's helping me barbecue because I don't know how to barbecue. <laughs> um, tall, sexy, little, a little uh, construction-y. Oh, okay. That'll, that'll do handy. it for me. I like, <laughs> I like my blue collar men. Um, I like it. Yeah, but then like every couple of months I would love to go experience something new with someone and maybe go somewhere tropical and then the next quarter you go to Switzerland over Christmas and like – like, I would love to have the best of both worlds. And yeah. I think we all can. We just have to choose it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's so much to see out in this world. Right. So much to experience and see. And uh, it sometimes overwhelms me when I think about it all. It should. It's a <laughs> I'm big just like, world. <laughs> there's not enough time <laughs> to so get big. to experience it all. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. Those perfect days, perfect way to spend your time I think is so important because when you do get you time or even just able to take time away Mm -hmm. like just living that reality of your dreams is so cool and I would love to find somebody to be in that world with me and we were talking about this not very long ago yeah I finally feel like I'm choosing men to be attracted to that aren't like part of my toxic past yes it's fun like, I'm, like, attracted to actual, like, non-alcoholics and drug addicts. So important. I feel like I've really evolved. <laughs> you have. I mean, round of applause. <laughs> I know it's taken a lot of work, but, and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> taking some time. Yeah. But I think it all kind of stems from getting to know myself again, you know, and yeah. starting to really love who I am and. Setting those boundaries, those healthy boundaries for yourself. Yeah. Yes. Very proud of you. 
I don't know. I, I really, I mean, I could literally go on forever just asking you all sorts of questions. You've got like 25 more minutes. I go do? Ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought. Ask anything you minutes. want. This is more comfortable than I thought it would be. <laughs> Yay. See, it's not so scary. Um, I don't know. Like, tell me a little bit about your dog. I know you can probably talk about him forever. Because he is literally your obsession, as he should be. He's, like, the most adorable dog ever. Yep. But tell me about how you got Kai and, like, how he yeah. came into your life. Well, on Alyssa's podcast, she asked me, she goes, would you say that your dog is your whole life? Uh-huh. And she later told me she loved my answer. And I said, at one point, he really was. Yeah. He was my everyday. Yeah. whole reason I got up. But I would say I don't live for him anymore. I live Good. with him. I'm yeah. his friend. I'm his companion. Right. Um, I got Kai from my brother and sister two years after my mom passed. Yeah. And they bought him for me from a breeder um, as a companion animal because I was very, very low. Right. Uh, I will say right now I was absolutely suicidal. Um, yeah. I had made a couple attempts yeah. at it that were not hospitalized or anything I think my sister and brother know about them but I just couldn't get out of that hole I couldn't figure out how to get friendships back and I couldn't figure out how to build hobbies back up because hobbies are usually things that you build up throughout your life you know and uh I just couldn't get a handle on it and I just I would call in sick to work for weeks yeah and I would just lay in bed uber eats food occasionally not very often and then when I did eat, I would binge eat because my mom starved to death. So it was, right. I have a very weird association with food. Yep. Um, and I just had this low point right before the holidays, which holidays are my favorite and my least favorite. Right. Because I feel lonely during them a lot of yeah. the time. But they're also my favorite time because you can celebrate everything right. and everyone. And I love doing that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I remember right before Thanksgiving – my brother was living with my dad at the time, and my sister called and said, hey, let's all go over to dad's. He needs to talk to us about something or something like that. Right. So I was thinking there was bad news. I was like, fuck, here we go. Right. <laughs> you know? And I show up, and I'd been crying all day, just couldn't get out of bed. And uh, my brother comes up the stairs, and he's holding this little bundle of fur. Oh. Cutest thing. And I literally looked at him, and I go, whose dog is that? Yeah. And he looked at me, he goes, it's yours. Yeah. Waterworks. Just yeah, like, just lost it. <laughs> yeah. And I just had this like, oh gosh, I was so scared. <laughs> I was oh, so yeah. scared. Keep in mind, I've never had a dog. Right. I've only ever had cats. Uh-huh. And hell, they were put in the dryer twice. Like, I'm oh, not gosh. like a super responsible pet owner. I never forget oh, my no. cat Mocha getting out, and I just heard. Oh, no. She's walking sideways oh, down the no. My mom was like, Did you put tennis shoes in there? I'm like, No, I don't know what that is. Um, it was oh, terrible. That poor cat. She was, she was okay. She, we got her checked out. But oh, um, <laughs> anyway, so Waterworks, and, you know, my whole family was there, and they gave me Kai, and I took him home. and. I was just talking to him and I was like, I promise I'll do my best and like all this stuff. Like I'm just terrified and we're, you know, playing in the mirror and he's jumping on me and we're just having a good time. Next day I took him to work with me and had a mental breakdown under my desk. 
I believe it. Dogs are a lot of work, especially puppies. When I wasn't expecting it, I didn't have a bed. I didn't have right. toys. I didn't know what to feed him. Like right. shots. I was like, does he have his shots? What, like <laughs> he needs to get neutered. Like what do I do? What do I do? And I'm I'm just sitting there going, man, I can't afford this. And like I, what if I, what if he dies? Like everything I touch dies. Like that was my mentality at the time. Like everyone, I everything that I try to care for dies. And yeah. so I. Was so I was t- just terrified that I was going to kill this adorable dog. Oh my goodness! And I remember calling my dad under my desk, and I was just crying to him. And I was like, "I can't do this. You have to take him back. Like you have. To, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to get hurt." And he's like, "Jen, you can do this. Like it's okay." And he went and got me a bed and a couple toys and a bag of food and a book to read. And there you go. And then I started really embracing like taking care of this dog, and he yeah. literally was my reason to get out of bed. Yeah. Because he doesn't, he doesn't care. And it, yeah. like, he doesn't, he doesn't know. He just loves you so much. He just loves me no matter if I'm sitting on the kitchen floor or if I'm out on a walk. Like, he just loves you. Right. So we'd go on walks and we would do um, and training. So I signed him up for a training course, which means I had to go out of the house in the evening, which was right. good for me. Right. And we would practice the training on walks, which would get me out of the house and in the sunlight. Right. And so it was just this like, so he was absolutely my reason. Right. But through that, I formed some really good habits. And 100%. I think that was the goal the whole time. And now yeah. he's just 78 pounds. My my brother, quote unquote, got me a medium sized dog. Fuck off. <laughs> I always told him, I was like, I want a dog, but I want a girl and I want it to be like small to medium size. Right. So, so he gets me a boy that. who's a Pyrenees, <laughs> 78 pounds of hair and fluff, oh. but he is my constant, absolute heart yeah. and soul. I tell him every morning, he's my heart and soul. Oh. I love him. He is a, such yeah. a good dog too. You've done such a great job with him. Like coming from no background of dogs, I'm None. just uh, like... He's just the best dog. Yeah. And, and he he's really also was very protective, which I yes. kind of love and hate at the same time. Right. He is always in front of me when people are around. Right. Like just sitting in front of me and other dogs. He's he's a, a little tight. I would say mediumly aggressive with other dogs if I'm there because he's just very protective. Right. Which does make me feel safe. Yeah. But it's also not great at dog parts. Well, it's part of his, like, breed, I think. Pyrenees, It's just like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, like, embedded in his um, genetics and DNA. Yeah. But, like, still, he's just, like, the best dog. And I really feel like he was, like, your saving grace in a roundabout way. thousand percent. Yeah. Not even roundabout. Yeah. One hundred million percent that dog saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, to this day, still, like, there's purpose. When there's animals and you love them so much, there's always purpose. Like, it just doesn't even matter, like. When I think he's taught me a lot about balance in my own life because mm. there are days, if I'm at a low point, I used to binge drink. Right. You know this. Yeah. And binge eat, binge drink, I'm a binger. Um, <laughs> and having him as like kind of an excuse sometimes. Right. To be like, no, I'm going to go hang out with Kai. Yeah. Like it does help me balance out those addictive type of tendencies that I do have. Sure. Based on my background. And um it's really helped me find balance in that. Yeah. So now I can go have a drink or have a glass of wine and I can say, hey, I got to get home to my dog. Exactly. And I don't need the excuse. Like I can be like, hey, I'm just going to leave. Sure. It's totally okay. But in my mind, I need the excuse. Right. And so it's easy for me to be like, I want to go hang out with my dog. Yeah. 
And nobody's going to fault you for it. I know, right? And if they do, <laughs> can't be friends. <laughs> Just get, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I mean, obviously, I've known you for a very long time. I know I've met most of your family, um, you know, through the years here and there. And you do have quite the interesting family dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Um, between all the different relatives and... Um, I don't know. I just, every time we talk about your family, I find out something new that I didn't know before, or, um, it's just really impressive how you handle all of your family dynamics. And oh, yeah, they're crazy as hell. And um, I know it. <laughs> I just applaud you and salute you and all the things like, it's just, I don't know. Like, have you ever thought about writing yes. a book yeah, I'm, I am writing a book right now. You are? You're um, actually in process? Yeah. Early um, days or? Listen, my family is crazy as hell, but they're also wonderful in their 100%. own rights. And, and they're very loved by you. my um, self, I, I've always been kind of, my brother calls me the soldier. Yeah. Um, and I was always the coordinator. So. Right. Naturally, a lot of the caretaking of like the family kind of falls on me. And I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. And my sister is very much the same way, um, but she has her own family. So right. a lot of that stuff kind of comes to me naturally, which is understandable. Um, but I, when I was younger, my mom was super mom. Right. She was fucking phenomenal. She coached my brother's soccer team. She was at every choir concert. She was just this amazing, amazing fucking woman. Right. And when I was about 14, it just flipped. Yeah. And her alcohol tendencies came out and my brother started using drugs. Right. My sister left for college. Um, there was abuse. There had been sexual abuse before that. Um, there was a lot of stuff happening. Right. And I found myself, because of my mom's drinking very much in this parenting type of role, which I didn't know how to do for my brother who was using drugs and partying at my house. So right. I'd get off work at Shopco and come home and scream at my brother and his friends to get the hell out of the house because they're all high as shit right. in the living room. And then I've got my mom, you know, puking in the parking lot at work. Right. And I have to go pick her up at 2.30 in the morning. I remember one night my brother stole my car and I had to call my friend Haley um, who had this, in my opinion, very picture perfect house. And I was like, Hey, I, I got to go get my mom. She's on the sidewalk downtown. Yeah. Her boss just called me and I don't, I don't know where my brother took my car. Right. And she had to go with me to pick up my mom. And it was mortifying. Right. It was so embarrassing. And then my mom had her own issues. And like I said, super mom turned into fucking Satan when she drank at me. Ugh. Yeah. And so there was physical stuff. There was emotional stuff. I mean, she told me I should have been aborted. Wish she never had me. Oh. I was ugly, a stupid, never right. amount to anything, all kinds of stuff. And then the mm. next morning, it's this traditional situation with abuse. Sure. She's sitting on the end of my bed, crying, apologizing, saying she'll never do it again. You know, very catastrophic. And then you have my brother, on the other hand, who's getting into heroin and meth and bath salts and... Yeah, the sniffing stuff. paint yeah. and stuff, and I'm trying to protect him, so I'm sending him away when my mom comes home. Sure, 
I didn't know I was sending him to a dealer's house. I thought I was sending him to a friend's house. Sure. So I carry that with me really hard. I really do. And oh. I know it's not my fault. Right. Logically. Right. My brother has, I'll never forget family weekend in rehab in a story point. He, you have to sit knee to knee and talk to each other. And he broke down and he was like, I'm so sorry for leaving you with mom. I'm so yeah. sorry. And I just looked at him and I was like, what? No, yeah. that's not your fault. What are you talking about? And I broke down and said, I never should have sent you to those people's house. Like, I thought I was protecting you. Right. Because I didn't know that they were drug dealers. Sure. I thought they were just friends. I thought he was safe. Yeah. I thought I was protecting him from something. But I was sending him to the literal place that pushed him onto this path. Yeah. Where now he's in prison. And it's so funny that those two burdens that we hold for each other, uh-huh. which are both not our fault. And we 100%. logically know this, but we can't let it go. Yeah. Um, and so those things happen. And, and you know, you come out of that situation. So I finally leave. I went to some family members for help. They told me I was dramatic. So it was very hard. Um, wow. And then I leave one day. I go to BSU. And my sister comes home. And my mom follows around with a butcher knife and is doing her thing and my sister goes to these people and all of a sudden it's a problem we need to have an intervention oh wow okay that has stuck with me my entire life weird I hate being brushed off yes when I think something's serious now I will go ape shit on you right because of that situation and it's so interesting how these things can follow you and you don't even know it and so you walk through these things in life and I'm writing a book and I'm getting to this part point in my life because I've had a lot of realm. I've hit a lot of the touch points in trauma. Uh-huh. I had a, a father who was, he's wonderful. He's my best friend, but he was not around. Right. Even if he wants to pretend that he was and no matter what the cause was. Right. He wasn't there. I had a situation with my mother. I had sexual abuse when I was younger. I had a situation with my brother. I had abuse, which pulled me into relationships that were surrounded by alcohol, drugs, caretaking, and abuse. Yeah. I've been laid off of a job that was, I didn't understand why. I've had friendships that have exploded in my face, and right. I didn't understand why. And I've, I've hit so many touch points. Every time I talk to somebody about their own trauma or their own experiences, it relates in some way to something I've gone through. Right. And I think it is important that the stigma and the caution around these things goes away. Yeah. Drugs, abuse, sexual abuse, um, parental abuse, emotional abuse, all of these things. Had I had the confidence to go to other family members after those family members dismiss me or a teacher. Sure. I think a lot of things could have been prevented that have happened in my life with my brother and myself and sometimes my sister. I think a lot of things could have been helped. Right. But there's this stigma. You don't talk about it. You are taught to hide it. Or almost like, like you said, brushed aside, like you don't believe it. Yeah. If it is talked about, like. If a kid comes to you, you should never respond with, you're just being dramatic. Right. They may be being dramatic, but as a child, that's how they're seeing it. And that's okay. That's their experience. You can't change it. Right, right. A hundred percent. And you shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So it's just interesting. And that's why I want to write the book. I think that whether it's one or two of the things that I've gone through, or maybe it's the whole bunch, finding someone to relate to that maybe will have the confidence to speak out when I didn't. I want that for yeah. them. I'm going to tear up because it's, it's a, oh. uh, I just picture that little girl after the sexual abuse happened, I used to go in the kitchen of my house and I'd hide under the kitchen table and I cry all night, all night long. And at first my mom came out and she was like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And I, did, I couldn't tell her, couldn't tell her anything. And so eventually it was like, why do you keep doing this? And it was anger. Yeah. And then it was just like, knock it off. And uh, it just became gradually this situation where as a child, I learned really quickly not to talk about my feelings and not to talk about the things that have happened to me. Right. And because of that, a lot of my issues have spiraled. My depression and my anxiety and my relationships. I have a hard time with intimate relationships. I don't understand them. Right. I love them, but I don't get them. <laughs> you know? Well, relationships are tricky anyways, even. Yeah. You know, not yeah. coming with all crazy baggage amounts of everything. Yeah. But if I can reach one teenager that has something similar and teach them that it's okay to talk and right. it's okay to scream it from the fucking rooftops. Yeah. And that you will find people that love and have the same experience. I've done my job. Yeah. And then, and so maybe not even like a same experience, but like, mm -hmm. like I always try to think that scares me the most as a mother mm -hmm. is like my child not being able to talk to me, Yeah, you know, or like open up, even though I might not be able to relate, mm -hmm. you know, and God forbid like anything happens to her, but in any situation that might be like something that she's like, I really need, like, this isn't yeah. okay. You know, like I like that open dialogue and that trust and that like love and it. But at the same time, it's so it is hard because, uh, you know, my little five year old, she sometimes she um, tries to manipulate me yeah. <laughs> or yeah. lie to me yeah. or, you know, and so it's just you're just like trying to figure out a way to be like their their love and comfort place mm -hmm. and trust place. But at the same time, yeah, have some boundaries where are you telling me a lie right now or is this truth yeah. or, you know, and that's like okay. manipulation. If you've like, embellished, it's okay. Tell right. me the truth now. Right. Yes. But what I think is there's confidence in community. Yes. And if we can make these topics less taboo. Right. You may not have gone through something that Bella goes through. Right. But maybe 100%. I have. Right. And maybe you as a mother can reach out to me and say, hey, Jen, yeah. Bella's gone through this and I don't understand it. Can you help me? Right. Yeah. And me being able to talk to you about that might give you perspective that can actually help your daughter. A hundred percent. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. Collaboration, that community and confidence in your community to know who to reach out to, to help you. Right. And I think there's power in that. A hundred percent. And both ways, yeah. you know, like being in new situations with family yeah, or children, you know, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Having that sense of community mm -hmm. to help each other out. I love that. Yeah. I'm excited. And to it doesn't always have to be the bad <laughs> stuff. It can also be good stuff. No, 100%. It's like 
man, Dasha, I saw you did this with your in-laws and they seem to really enjoy it. Like, how yeah. do I, how do I jump on that train? Like, you yep. know, I've actually had friends reach out about stuff like that yeah. very much. So yeah. it doesn't have to be all, you know, downtrodden, but right. the book is really meant. And I, I may, I may have one person read it. It might be only you. I don't know. I'll but, read it. You know, I'll be your number one fan. <laughs> that is literally the purpose is to just put down some of my experiences and my thoughts and what I've learned onto paper and if it helps someone have a voice or yeah. relate, just know that they're not so alone in this world, which right. can seem so fucking lonely. Right. Then great. I love that. Does it does it feel therapeutic for you when no. you're right? <laughs> oh, okay. But you also have to understand I was taught and I do this with everything to lock it in. Yeah. Lock it in. My counselor actually told me it was like a Pandora's box and I have a guard or two outside this box. And she's like, you need to let this box out slowly because <laughs> well, yeah. I'm an all or nothing girl. Sure. I will go straight into deadlifting if I want to get into shape. I won't, right. I won't like do any walking. I'll just start lifting <laughs> 300 pounds and just like, that won't hurt your body. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's my personality. I go hard into it and I want the results fast and it, right. that's what I do. And uh, she was like, you can't do that here. You right. you need to let a little bit out at a time. You need to just peek open the box, let in about, let out a little tiny bit, deal with that, and then right. do it again. And so um, the book has been really hard for me because there's a lot of stuff I've locked in that Pandora's box that is coming back to light that I actually don't fully remember. Gotcha. Because I blocked it. Yeah. You know, Traumatic the other day I was talking about and I've talked to my brother about talking about this. I know he's fine with it, but there was a uh, memory I was writing about the other day. He was on something in the bathroom and his friend had passed out on the couch and I couldn't get him to wake up. I'd slapped him. I'd done all this stuff. So I went and I was screaming at my brother in the bathroom and he was on the nod, which on the nod, do you know what that is? That's no. when you do heroin or something like that for a brief moment in time before you hit the euphoric state, you pass out. Okay. And you usually just lay down and nod down like your okay. head falls you look like you're going to sleep like sitting yeah. up it's called on the nod he was on the nod and um so when he woke up I was like banging on the door because I thought he was like dead anyways he came out super angry and he slammed the door in my face so hard that the door frame flew off and hit me oh wow okay <laughs> and uh I was writing about that the other day and um literally he uh he was like, man, I don't remember that. And I was like, I know I didn't remember it either until I started writing about it. And I was like, but I do remember it now. I remember one of the nails hit me in my eyebrow. Oh, and wow. I actually have a scar in my eyebrow right here. Oh, wow. And uh, he's like, I, yeah, I vaguely remember you getting it like hurt. And I remember mom was really mad at me. Yeah. And it's so it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of starting to write it out. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wow, I forgot about that. Comes like flooding back. Yeah, and with that comes a ton of emotions. Of course. And anger, and you kind of relive as an adult looking. It's like, it would be like someone hurting Bella. Oh, gosh, yeah. And you just watching it. It's no. those feelings of anger and just wanting to protect and just fight back. Right. Those are the feelings that I get when I write these things out. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's really bad. Do you feel almost like removed from it? Almost like you're like outside looking in at times? Yeah, but then those feelings flood back. Yeah. So initially I get really angry and I'm like wanting to protect the child-sized version of myself as I'm remembering. Right. 
And then later I'm like, you come to realize, man, that was really me. Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. And what did I do after that? I didn't fight back. I cowered. I remember hiding under my bed. Yeah, I was like 13. Child. I was 13. Still a child, yeah. yeah. But I remember hiding under my bed because I was afraid of what he might do. And yeah. it's just, so then you start to roll into, so it's a process. You get those angry feelings and you roll into those feelings of like cowering and why didn't I stand up for myself and why didn't I do this? And then you kind of roll into like, I was just a child. You have to accept it. Yeah. So it's a process. It takes a bit. Have you ever done like hypnotherapy yep. or? No, not, I'm sorry, not hypnotherapy. Not hypnotherapy. No, I'm terrified of that shit. Just because you feel like that would almost bust the Pandora box wide open. That would open. just blow it up. Yeah. I'd be like putting a nuke in there and just. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> no, hypnotherapy, I've researched it. It can be really great for some people. And for people that have suppressed memories, it can also, can also be very dangerous because it can flood, flood your emotions. Yeah. Well, how are yeah, we on time? I think we're I think we're pretty much on time. Yeah. Right, Ryan? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, you're welcome. I know. <laughs> uh ending on that wonderful note, everyone, read Jen's book when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd love to have you back and keep chatting about stuff. There's yes. so many topics I think we could chat about. Oh my fun. gosh. Yeah. So. Thank you for going in deep today. Yes. Oh, Thank you for yeah. helping me do that. Yes. I appreciate it. So I guess we'll see everybody next time. Yes. Signing out. Thank you for listening to Phone Booth Cold Calls with Jen. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Signing off.